When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey everyone, Mark from Guitarnerd here with a special extra podcast that's a little bit different from what we'd normally put in the podcast feed. What you're about to hear is the audio from a talk I did a few weeks ago at the Confetti Institute of Creative Technologies in Nottingham. Confetti is part of Nottingham Trent University and offers college and degree courses in a range of subjects including film, TV, music, games and more. This talk was under the banner of Guitar Heroes and was part of Confetti's Industry Week, where they get professionals in to talk to the students and share their insider knowledge of the creative industries. As I said, I host the talk and put forward students' questions to Mikey Demas from Skindred, session player Aziz Ibrahim and metal wizard Andy James. Just want to say thank you to Confetti for letting us use the audio from this talk. I had a great time hosting and hopefully you'll have a great time listening. If you want to find out more about joining Confetti, visit their website at confetti.ac.uk or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or Snapchat. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the talk. I'm Mark from Guitar Nerds. I'll be hosting the session this morning. Thanks very much for coming along. Uh, been told to remind you to get involved using the hashtag IW17. There we go. Uh, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So get involved or I get in super big trouble. Um, you can also get behind the scenes insight on Confetti's Snapchat story and give us feedback on the session. I think there's an iPad going around somewhere uh, around the room if you can just leave some feedback so we can keep making these sessions better and better. Um, finally, you can win a £50 voucher from PMT who I think we've supplied the amps for us today um, by taking the best photo of the session, hashtagging it IW17. So, um, without further ado, shall we introduce some guitarists and get them out on stage? First out, uh, we've got a guitarist who has played with the Stone Roses, Paul Weller and more. Uh, he's also provided music for television and video games, and his contribution to culture have been recognised by the Queen herself. Please welcome Aziz Ibrahim. There we go. Um, so, next out, uh, we have a uh, guitarist who rose to prominence with Sacred Mother Tongue um, and has now been contributing to the Lick Library, instructional DVDs, and even has his own online guitar academy. Uh, this is Andy James. <laughs> and 
And finally, we have the guitar player in Brick Rock Legends, Skindred. This man definitely combines elements of hardcore punk, reggae, jungle, and drum and bass into his playing. He's won a Metal Hammer and Kerrang! Awards and has toured worldwide. Please welcome Mikey Demas. Thanks very much for, uh, for coming out, gents. Um, the way the session's going to run, we've had some questions submitted um, from uh, guys from Confetti, guys and girls from Confetti. So I thought we'd just run a few, a few bits and we'll mix that in with some, some playing as well. So our first question was actually about getting started on guitar. And I just wanted to hear from each of you, like, uh, what inspired you to pick up, pick up the guitar, become a guitarist, and um, which guitar players kind of, uh, kind of influenced that? Um, Aziz, do you want to um, start off? Sure, yeah. Hello, everyone. You're right. Uh, I got a guitar, five five quid. Um, it was like half my dad's wages. I'm a lot older than you, by the way. So um, at that time, he had ten pounds in his wages, and I got I was doing this, you know, crying routine, and um, I saw this guitar in a toy shop, and it was like five pounds. So it was birthday coming up, so I was like a bit of crying to my mum first because she was the easy one, and then. Um, five quid, I got this acoustic guitar, best thing ever. But I got it because my school teacher used to play one. He used to get a bottle of milk and, um, and he used to play, get his acoustic guitar and everybody would fall asleep. <laughs> um, that's why I got yeah, five quid and then it just started, that was it. Everything I could hear around me. Well, I mean, it's not like now, you could hear music, you know, I just started, got a, um, put the record on vinyl on and trying to, you know, learn out something, you know, some kind of... <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I ever learned. So. <laughs> um, how about you, Andy? How, what, uh, how did you get started? Hi. Um, yeah, I was uh, about 12 years old, and um, I mean, I was into like Guns and Roses and all that kind of stuff. So when I was a kid, I just wanted to be like Slash. Um, didn't really work out, but <laughs> I got no air for a start. Um, so yeah, I uh, kind of bugged my dad for a guitar and uh, I was playing a friend of mine's actually and just learning a bunch of their stuff. And uh, yeah, one day it was, I just had a birthday and I said to my dad, can I have a guitar? So we went and bought one in Brighton and um, yeah, that was it really. And then just kind of pretty much self-taught from there, um, getting into other guitar players like uh, Paul Gilbert, Nuno Betancourt, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then just... I don't know, I became obsessed with it after that and trying to play things that were, you know, more and more difficult. Now I'm kind of going backwards. I'm trying to play stuff that's easier because I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, and that's it. And uh, how about you, Mikey? Hello. <laughs> yeah, same as the other guys, really. Um, I was probably, uh, it was my dad who put a guitar in my hands the first time around. And the first time he did it when I was about, I guess, nine or ten, I couldn't get my head around it and I was not interested and... I couldn't do it, so I was frustrated and couldn't do it. And then a couple of years later, I sort of, I got into the idea of, ah, oh, I started discovering girls. So I thought, girls might be into this idea of having a guitar, you know. So I took up the guitar again uh, with a quest to, to, to woo women, I'll be quite honest. But then uh, I'd seen um, the Woodstock film and I remember seeing Santana and, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix and things like that and just totally blew my mind and thought, that's what I want to figure out how to do, what those guys are doing, just wailing around with this thing. And, yeah, my dad put a guitar in my hands and uh, he made me have an acoustic guitar first. I, you know, I wanted to play an electric, but um, he was always uh, 
getting the idea into my head that an acoustic guitar sort of was, was tougher to play and if you can make something sound good on an acoustic then um then you can you know it builds up the strength in your fingers like the karate kid doing all that stuff so uh yeah i started off on an acoustic and eventually that one got smashed up accidentally and um then i got my first electric soon afterwards and yeah it's all been from there really so it's all it's dads thanks dads good for the dads i have to say yeah <laughs> just a question for all of you really how often do you kind of revisit those influences do you go back and listen to stuff that got you started off on guitar and how has how has your experience as a guitar player changed how you listen to that stuff any one of you andy if you want to uh right. go I'll, we'll just sort of go this way if you like um yeah i suppose I'm quite nostalgic with like the stuff that I listen to, so you know. I mean, I I try and listen to newer stuff, but I don't know. I feel like um, a lot of the guitar stuff I like is still good, even though it's sort of like twenty, thirty years on kind of thing. So um, I try not to listen to stuff if I'm like writing new music, just because it kind of heavily influences what I'm doing. So I try and kind of block all that out and not listen to anything, and hopefully, I just kind of do what I do rather than. I don't know what someone else might do, kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, just for, like, listening and stuff, I haven't really listened to anything different to when I was 16, 17. I still listen to all those kind of records. And I suppose most people are like that, really. The thing that gets you into music is always the thing that still inspires you the most, even though, you know, some new stuff is still good as well. Sure. How about you, Aziz? Do you, um, do you revisit stuff? Yeah, I, I revisit stuff, but, you know, I... Um, I didn't grow up with guitar music, really, and I'm still the same in that way. You know, I grew up with like hip hop, uh, reggae, soul, R and B, funk. But it was just a neighbourhood I live in. You know, hardcore council estate, and it was just, you know, it was just what was coming out of people's systems as they're driving around, you know, hanging out with your mates. So playing the guitar to them was like, what, what? Anyway, bleep, what's that? You know, and um, I'd be like, a bit of kind of embarrassed to actually so tell them I was listening to you know, any guitar music. So I did listen, and I do kind of revisit many kind of stuff I missed out on, you know. I might have bought these albums and I didn't hear this out the third album or something. But in general, I don't even listen to guitar music. I avoid it like the plague, to tell you the truth. Not a good advert, that. But um, the fact is that I'm more kind of obsessed with um, discovering identity, you know, discovering my own tone. Um, for writing purposes and just for character of uh, songwriting and um, I find that listening to any guitar playing it just distracts me from my, my purpose so I'd rather listen to anything I can draw influences from um, other instruments, vocals um, anything but guitar so in all honesty I, I don't think I listen to guitar music um, I listen to a lot of Biggie Smalls I love the way that he syncopates his rhythms and you know, uh, vocally there's so many different things and world music and it, I call it world music, but different genres. I like the influence of that, you know, I, I can, um, you know, I like the kind of being able to just. You know, that's kind of the obvious influence there, but because it's not the guitar, it gives me uh, some kind of ideas and directions. And I employed it into songs that I've written before, like, you know, beginning of Getting High for Ian Brown, it's just, came to me and I just started playing that so for me you know just looking for identity so yeah sorry it's a long story but yeah it's more I don't really listen to the guitar much unless it's just nostalgia you know and Mikey do you return to stuff or um similar to Aziz obviously there's a few different influences in your music as well what are you what are you listening to um same really uh, 
the things that got me excited about playing guitar or playing music is still the same things really I grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll a lot of punk rock um i think things like you know chuck berry i found really inspiring when you know this guy jumping around on stage just the marty mcfly back to the future sort of that whole thing i something something about that kind of performance i just thought that was kind of cool and um i found that quite you know something which would something to aspire to playing those sorts of things um and as i've got older you know there's less stuff now that i find inspiring than the same as andy then you're you're constantly looking back to things like you know things like led zeppelin still still a massive influence um you know the rolling stones keith richards i think was probably a massive influence on me i've always feel like i've been more of a a song person or a rhythm guitar player rather than a shredder or a, or a lead guy but and trying to find that identity in terms of the last 15 years of playing and finding that that's sort of making more sense now where you're kind of able to um, resolve your feelings about certain ways of playing and making sense of the guitarist that you really aspire to being like and f being okay with, with being a rhythm player and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, totally same as Aziz as well. I'm not, I don't listen to a huge amount of guitar in music. I find a lot more inspiration with uh, the weird and wonderful that's out there and maybe trying even to recreate it or, you know, I'll be, I'll listen to a lot of stuff that's, doesn't have a guitars on it and find that inspiring for writing for Skindred and other things. So, I'm sorry. Was that? Beard. Oh yeah, a beard. Very good. Very good. That's very inspiring very, to all of us. I think. Very inspiring. Yeah. Well spotted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, who um, who wants to hear some playing? Yeah. Um, Mikey, you're up first, I think. If you want to. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, give us some um, give us some playing. Absolutely. Give me one sec. <coughs> All right, this, um, I've got a couple of tunes to play along to. This is one of our tunes from an album called Shark Bites and Dog Fights. And this song's called Stand for Something.
Thank you, Mikey. Um, so the next set of questions that we've got actually focus more on um, career paths and, and breaking into the industry. Um, so I just wanted to cover a few bits there, really. Um, first question actually is, how did you become a professional guitarist? So interesting in that transition from just playing for fun to making the next step into actually earning money and, and making this your, uh, your job. Aziz, did you want to um, kick us off? Yeah, no worries. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one for me. I, 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 never, um, I, I never chose music as a career, to tell you the truth. I, music chose me. Um, that's how I look at it. I, just, I was just doing the usual studying. There were two things in my life, well, three. Well, the third we won't talk about, but the, um, the main one was like studying. I, was, I wanted to be a doctor. Well, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. That's more what my mum and dad wanted. But um, secondly, you know, um, I wanted to be a basketball player. I just wanted to play in the NBA. That's all I was interested in. And, um, but then it just came up, yeah. Um, I got a phone call from Simply Red in 1987. And it was literally, you know, do you want a grand a week and um, travel the world and five star first class and all the women you all the food you can eat uh, <laughs> kind of thing <clears throat> but uh, so it was that kind of thing and my mate used to phone me up to mess me around all the time and I was going Dalroy is that you bro and uh, it wasn't it was the manager and um, all of a sudden I was like chucked in this world of you know dough and able to do anything you know get me a bag of money and said yeah I go on holiday in the middle of a world tour and I was in Australia somewhere and I thought Right, <laughs> I'll see you in Quebec City. So um, it chose me. Um, it was just a path, you know. I, I never thought about it. not from my background, you know. If you think about individually, what where you think you're going, and I was like set on this typical, you know, Muslim Asian good boy, you know, path of being a doctor, accountant, whatever, lawyer, and then all of a sudden I'm a rock and roll musician, you know, <laughs> playing in this band. I didn't like the music, but. You know, when you're 21 and somebody's giving you a grand a week, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, I love it, Mick. Yeah, it's ace. Yeah, top tunes. Yeah, so that was it. The music chose me. I didn't choose music, and I've just found I could play the guitar, and I just don't know where it ends, and just pursue it and find out. It's like fulfilling your potential, and that's all I'm ever doing. You know, it's nothing to do with the money. You know, you'll still see me playing down the pub, as far as I'm concerned. But um, it's just that it's music. Never mind the guitar. Music, just in general, it's, you know, it's a lifesaver. How about you, Andy? How did you um, how did you kind of uh, get into this? Um, well, I had a string of rubbish day jobs. I was uh, Starbucks, McDonald's, all of that kind of usual stuff. And then um, I had a job in insurance, um, probably about ten years ago, maybe even more than that. I don't know. But um, yeah, I was just sat there one day pulling my hair out, so I ain't got any. Um, and I was reading this guitar magazine. I was getting, you know, bugged by a supervisor. Like, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to meet targets. And I was just thinking, oh, God, I don't want this to be my life. So there was this uh, guitar competition. And I thought, well, I've been playing for a bit, uh, just in cover bands and stuff like that. And uh, I wanted to kind of try and do something. Because when I started guitar, I didn't really think about doing it as a career. I just fancied doing it because it was something to do. I mean, for me, it was kind of like a social acceptance thing because I was such a dork as a kid, like... Um, it was good to be able to do something that a lot of kids kind of thought, wow, you can play guitar, I can't do that. Um, so yeah, that was that. And then fast forward to the, back to the job. Uh, so I enter this thing anyway and, you know, do like heats. It was kind of like a sort of X factor for guitar sort of thing. Um, I remember there was like a judging panel. There was Giz Butt, 
who had been in like the Prodigy and stuff like that. Another guy called Jamie Humphreys. He worked for like um, We Will Rock You, but he also did a lot of stuff for like Lick Library and uh, guitar magazines and all that kind of stuff. And then there was Blaze Bailey, who was like um, one of the singers for Iron Maiden. So yeah, there was there was that, and then got through all the heats and stuff. Did the final, and anyway, they kind of announced all the winners, and I thought I was just about ready to grab my guitar and go home, thinking, no, this isn't really for me. And then I didn't realise they were going to shout out like an overall winner, and then uh, they picked me to win this thing. So I just won a guitar and stuff like that. Um, so you know, I got to know uh, Jamie through um, doing some guitar show. I went to like one of the guitar shows in Birmingham because the final for this thing was in Birmingham. And uh, yeah, I just got up, jammed a few things and that. And then a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from him saying, uh, oh, I've got someone here that you know wants to sort of talk to you about maybe coming in and doing some filming. I mean, at this point, I hadn't really heard of Lick Library. I didn't know what it was about. Um, I didn't even know if I'd be good enough to do it. But anyway, I spoke to the guy. He said, look, you know, Jamie's been telling me that you kind of do the more heavier sort of shred stuff and we're looking for someone to do that. Do you fancy coming down and, and you know, being filmed? So I remember, you know, going down, I just did like a day's worth of work and that they kind of looked over all the footage um, and, you know, apparently it came out all right. I've not actually seen the first video that I ever did, so I, I don't know whether it was any good or not, but just on the strength of that, they said, right, well, you know, do you want do you want the gig then? I was like, yeah, go on then. So, I mean, this was kind of where they were branching out into YouTube and all that kind of stuff. And uh, because I suppose I was doing stuff that was probably more popular with a younger audience, um, the stuff kind of just blew up on YouTube and stuff like that. So that's pretty much how my thing followed on from that. And then, you know, getting in bands and um, doing endorsements, clinic tours, world tours, um, kind of just came from that, really, just from doing YouTube. But th social media has played a big hand in, like, my career. Um, I don't know whether I'd have probably been punted out there as much had it not been for, like, YouTube or something, so... Curious to know how you got the Guitar Academy started. All oh, right. Um, well, I, I'd, I'd stopped working for Lit Library at this point. I was doing some, you know, random stuff here and there, just trying to sort of cobble together a living. Because I mean, I mean, it's like both these guys will probably tell you. You know, you go through fits and starts of having like, you know, loads of success, loads of money, and then all of a sudden, when that stops, you kind of got to scrabble around for whatever you can find. But I refused to go back to doing a normal job. I thought, well. I'm I'm kind of in this now, 100% committed. I'm just going to stick to it and see what happens. So, anyway, I just get a random phone call from this guy just saying, oh, uh, have you ever thought about doing your own website? Um, and I was like, well, yeah, I have, but, you know, I've got no idea about how to build a site or code or do anything like that, even film my own material kind of thing. So um, I kind of thought he was just full of shit, to be honest, because, you know, when people go ring you up and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, you could earn this, it'd be amazing, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever, you know what I mean? But no, you know, we had a few conversations on the phone, and then we met up, and then I realised this guy was pretty legit, and then, yeah, we just started working on this. It's really just me and this other guy, he does all the kind of tech stuff, and then I just literally do all the content and edit it and film it, and, um, I mean... I suppose doing what I do, it's, it's been important to become somebody that understands how to record audio, mix, edit video, um, you know, do all your own stuff, because it becomes expensive paying other people to do it. So I've kind of just got used to doing everything myself now. Cool. Um, and Mikey, um, how did you uh, end up where you are? Um, yeah, definitely. totally know what you're talking about, about being able to DIY stuff, and, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, being able to... Hone, hone your craft and know how to do something other than playing guitar definitely has helped sort of, you know, 
keep keep me where I am. You know, learning how to do stuff with, with Photoshop and that kind of thing is always a good thing. But um, yeah, sorry, what was the question again? Talking about Photoshop. How did, how did you end, how did you end up where you are? How did you, how did you get to this uh, this stage? Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, um, I was in bands like, when I was coming up. I was been in bands since I was probably about fourteen years old. Um, just really, literally getting in in garages with friends at school and making an awful racket and being told to turn down and finding ways to play always you know I was lucky where the school I went to had a really cool youth center that was that had a stage like not a million miles away from what this sort of thing is it was a kind of you know no way near as technologically proficient as uh, as this place but um you know it was somewhere where where you could be in a band and play and do that thing and kind of you know experience what it is to do that and as soon as I had a taste of doing that I just kept doing it and um went from being in a you know a band with school friends to I was in a band with my sister when we when you know when I was about 17 and um just went on was in probably about four or five little bands trying to do my thing before um I met I met Dan who's the bass player in Skindred and um this was back in 2001 um and a guitar player had actually left Skindred that that very year and I was asked if I wanted to join and um I went down to South Wales and tried out, um, and yeah, you know, I was like, yeah, I want it. So at the time, you know, like like uh, like the other guys, I was doing other things. wasn't wasn't you know on stage all the time. Was kind of just doing little baby band stuff, and was working a job. In uh, I was living in the middle of the country. Was working a job that I hated, and. Uh, you know, I had a phone call saying, "Do you want to come down and try out for this band?" Which I, you know, I knew all about the band, and um, said, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I want to come down there." Um, so yeah, I gave up my job and gave up where I lived, and I lived on someone's sofa for about two and a half years in South Wales, which was brilliant. And um, yeah, just went from strength to strength with the band, really, and just stuck at it. I, I think we you know we spent a lot of time in the US for the first sort of 5 to 6 years that I was doing it and then slowly we've come back to the UK where where we're sort of enjoying a lot of a lot of success now but um yeah just just literally getting out there and playing and playing and playing and playing was how I got to where I'm stood right now I played every every toilet in the country 14 times and you know and then moved up to more amazing places along the way there we go well should we have some more playing Aziz, would you be um, would you be comfortable to um, maybe run us through some stuff? He says run uh, through some stuff because I haven't actually got something to play here. Apart from, um, I just like make something up. <laughs> you know, that's life, isn't it? Just making stuff up as you go along. I don't know. Um. <laughs>
Thanks, Aziz. Um, talk about making stuff up. Um, that was pretty good for on the spot, you know. Indeed. Our, uh, our next questions actually um, kind of pertain to that in that they're all about the creative process. Um, and just one simple question, really. How do you approach creating a new uh, song um, or, you know, come up with ideas for, for a new album? Um, Mikey, if you want to kick us off. Um, I think, to be honest, the biggest helpful tool I've had in the last decade for songwriting isn't anything musical necessarily, but music memos on my iPhone is probably my best friend. Um, I'll find that when I've got an idea for a song, I'm nowhere near a guitar. I'd be in the shower, I'd be in, uh, driving a, a car along the, M the motorway, far away from anywhere musical. And um, just being able to have something that you can literally hum ideas into and updates it into the cloud so it doesn't get lost, which is fucking awesome. Um, yeah, that's, to be honest with you, the last couple of albums I've just literally sat with a guitar and sifted through ideas on a phone and there'll be a lot of them, they're late at night where I'll, it'll be sort of three, four in the morning and I won't want to wake anyone up and it'll just be me whispering into a phone going and I'll be there trying to decipher it the next day going, fuck, why didn't I just go in the other room and like, you know, holler into this phone because I can't actually figure out what it is. But yeah, so many of my ideas for songs come from that, you know, you'll be humming an idea and literally nowhere nowhere near a guitar um to be honest with you I, I find it quite hard to be creative on the spot when you have a guitar and you go right here we go it's time for riff writing or whatever and you find sometimes you find that your hands always go to the same places or that you'd, you'd be playing the same things habitually and it, i find that quite hard to break out of that sometimes so yeah for me um definitely writing in any other way and then you know you're not constricted by things like key or tuning or anything like that. It'll literally be, I'll build up an idea of a song away from a guitar and then come and actually try and work it out afterwards on a guitar. So, and I'll, to be honest with you, I'll be putting as much effort into things like rhythm and, and drums and that kind of thing. It won't just be, I wrote a guitar part. It would be, you have an idea of a whole song in mind. But um, a lot of the time, an idea will come from a tempo rather than a riff or anything. So for songs like, songs like Warning that we play those things that I, I imagine just the idea of a crowd bouncing up and down because we play a lot of festivals and we see a lot of crowds bouncing up and down and um, sort of picturing that kind of tempo and you know you imagine that pulse of the crowd and just you put in a click that that's that kind of thing and and um, and eventually you end up with sort of something where you kind of thing where you just sort of see this sort of crowd jumping up and down and you build the riff around that that's for me that's more of a approach to playing rather than any kind of mega amount of fretwork but I get more excited about something that's got a pulse and something that's got rhythm and something that you can dance or jump and break, in, break your neck to that kind of thing Cool. Um, and Aziz, obviously you showed us some improvised stuff earlier. How do you go about constructing songs and where do you get your ideas from? I mean, ideas, they can come from anywhere, as you well know. You know, it doesn't necessarily... It's like, because I'm a, you know, a songwriter and guitarist, so I tend to... You know, there's influences of something, some event that happened, something happened, and I've written the lyrics down, and um, then I might construct parts from the song itself. Then other days, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you kind of heard some of the... 
just get a clean sound. Right. Sometimes, I, I mean, I, I began actually um, playing bass as well as guitar, so I generally tend to play, um, you know. So, you know, feeling-wise, rhythm-wise, they're the kind of things that I write from. Anything, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I love old classics, you know, old soul classics, and I started to learn to play things like... keep the kind of bass line going and keep the rhythm but I started to develop this way of playing where I could get me the feeling of okay if it's in a band context how does the bass work in this because that's really important to me rhythm section uh, bass drums and um, sometimes I approach it from completely rhythm I might because um, in my band you know I, I've got a kind of a white stripes from Bombay band or Mumbai sorry is the way it's pronounced now but um so I'm working with a tabla player. I approach it from um, tabla rhythms. And, you know, it could be something that he might play for me and then sing to me. I mean, din din dinna din din, or whatever. I might construct off his rhythm. So I'm not thinking mathematics, but it's just the way that he's played. So it might be. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I'm not a 4-4 kind of person. Um, again, you know, it's like breaking those kind of the routines of life. Everything seems to be 4-4 when really, you know, why, why does it have to be that? You know, it's up to you to decide. I understand it in terms of dance music and so forth, but um, any aspects that twist music in a way for me, that the approach is different. Um, it might not be the guitar, like I said, it might be the bass. Or sometimes, um, 
I suppose on a cheesy note, sometimes I just buy a new pedal, <laughs> a new guitar pedal. I bought this one and all of a sudden I got, I'm into this sound, it's kind of like a... I just love that sound and I'm going to write a song around that sound. You know, it's got that kind of cheeky little vibes kind of playing, so I might even emulate the, how a vibe player would play. You know, um, I say just inspiration from loads of different things. Sometimes it's the lyrics. Sometimes it's the, you know, just equipment in general. Go, oh, I like that pedal. Oh, it's nice, that. I'm going to rob it. I mean, I'm going to buy it. So, um, uh, otherwise, it's, sometimes it's just purely, you know, the guitar itself. I'm sat there just playing, you know, rhythms and things, watching the telly. <laughs> you know, I used to watch, like, car chases and stuff and used to write really fast parts and things but um anything anything goes really you know there's no one set hard fast rule i don't like boxes you know i don't like regimented anything uh like to break the rules of it you know the fact that the guitar you know i'll choose a guitar that gives me character and tone for songwriting this guitar you know it's it's got a great it's almost acoustic but on the other side, you know, it can drop a... So I might find that... Um, can. No, it's character, even in the instrument itself, that every part of it, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is not an expensive guitar, but... I'm not bothered about what people say, you know, laughing at me. Oh, you get that out of a lucky bag or something. <laughs> it's more about that it gives me something that inspires me to write, and that's the process, really. Anything that's inspirational in that way can come from any direction. Just be ready for it, you know? Cool. Um, and Andy, if you could just give us a bit of a, an insight into how you come up with stuff and, um, and then give us a bit of playing afterwards. It'll be fantastic. Sorry, Wireless was doing something weird there I've never seen before in my life. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess for me, I, um, I'm kind of like Mikey in terms of like, I'll get my phone and, and just put it in front of an amp or something or in front of monitors and, or if I'm just kind of a acoustic in a, I don't know, hotel room or something, uh, get a riff down or an idea just so I don't forget it. Um, but yeah, generally I, I think from a young age when I, um, when I was in college and started with you know, trying to get bands together and stuff like that. I just remember being eternally frustrated, like I'd have a really cool, or what I thought was cool idea, and then you'd be in a room with like three other people that would just have totally separate ideas of how they interpret what you've just played. And so you'd, you'd just be telling them each individual, no, I kind of want it like this, and you start air drumming or doing some ridiculous thing that doesn't even mean anything. And um, they're kind of looking at you like, well, what do you want? Is it going to be this or this? And I'm like, oh, God. So I, th I think for me, I, I kind of wrap my head around um, actually recording demos. And um, because like when I conceive of like ideas, I don't, it, it's rarely kind of a riff. It'll be more just conceptual. So the whole thing will just play out in my head, um, which is a bit of a nightmare. So I have to kind of get it all out, all the elements, drums, bass, guitars, everything. Uh, and then I just kind of get a canvas out and then, with like modern recording technology now, you can kind of cut bits up and take bits out and move something else around. And I do a lot of my arranging like that, so I'll just kind of blurt out all the audio that I want and then just kind of move it around. Um, I mean, 
a lot of my stuff is kind of tempo dependent as well. Um, you know, obviously there's different vibes with different tempos. Slower stuff is kind of, you know, heavier and more groovy. And then you've got faster stuff, which is a bit more energetic. So you kind of work from that point of view, really. Um, the kind of riffs and, and stuff are normally fit in to that kind of surrounding. But the good thing about the, the recording and stuff like that is I can just go to like my band and go, uh, this is the idea that I've had. And then they can fully conceive of it and get into it and go, yeah, this sounds pretty cool. So, And then they just learn that. And then on the strength of that, just add their own thing into it. So, like, obviously, I'm not telling a drummer what to play or a bass player what to play, but obviously they can tell from the idea that I've done that, you know, there's a half-time bit here, there's kind of, you know, double-time bit there, and they can just kind of get the song structure sort of thing. So, from my point of view, it was just easier to learn how to do that and write and, you know, do stuff. Um, I mean, I'd still do the phone thing, but then I'd still end up in the same position I was in before. If I sent a phone note to somebody, they'd be like, what what am I going to do with this? I've got no idea. Especially if it's just plinking in the background. Going, you know, it's like, yeah, I can't, don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, what, you want me to play something? Yeah, there? yeah, just, um, yeah, give us one of these, uh, one of the songs that you've, uh, you've done. Okay, uh, well, you mentioned Sacred Mother Tongue, um, which is a band I was in for a while. Uh, this band, Wearing Scars, that I'm in now, is kind of basically the same band, just with a different singer. And um, So, I'm going to play something off... Uh, our first album. Uh, it's a song called Waiting for the End. I didn't write this, by the way, so... <laughs>
Thanks. Thanks so much, Andy. Um, so our next set of questions, um, or actually, let's condense it down to one question, actually. And this is all about the equipment that you guys use and how you create the awesome guitar sounds that we've, that we've heard today. Um, so, Mikey, did you want to kick us off just a run-through on the guitars that you play, why you play them, and the same for the rest of the gear? got my trusty Telecaster sort of um, mixed with a Strat. I've used this guitar for a very, very long time. It's got kind of got a Stratcaster neck, Telebody. It's a guitar I put together myself out of bits. Um, I'm kind of one of those tinkerer sort of people who can't just have something off a wall, has to be hit with a blowtorch and an angle grinder and you know, take it to pieces, figure out what it's about, put it back together, put your own little twists on it. So, yeah, this has been around the world about 400 times and has the sort of every scar to show it. Um, it was just a black body, and I just sprayed it with um, Montana graffiti acrylic paint eh, at one point, and you can see it's just it's all come off on the back. It all ended up on my trousers. And, um, yeah, this, this is all genuine wear and tear on this bad boy. Um, it's a super simple guitar. Uh, changed the pickups in it. It's, it's wired slightly differently to stock, and it's locking tuners just for keeping it in tune a bit better. Um, I've actually retired this one from playing this live, just for the reason that it's sort of it's very valuable to me. Even though it's you know it's a combination of a couple of cheap guitars, really, it's um, it's too valuable to be having out on the road. I nearly lost it last last summer when um, Air France lost all of our gear. Um, during a connecting flight, and it didn't turn up for about two weeks. So uh, after that, I was like, right, this isn't coming out anymore. So I now play um, different guitars live, but this is still sort of the number one kind of thing. People know this guitar. Um, but yeah, I love Telecasters. I love, you know, they're just sort of humble, honest guitar, sort of like a, you know, there's nothing flashy about it. It's just wood and metal and uh, very simple, very rudimentary, designed in 1952 and hasn't really changed very much since, you know, all the bits that have changed and stuff I've done to it just to make it a bit more roadworthy, make it behave a bit more on stage, but the neck's all worn out and that kind of thing. It's just a, you know, it's like a, it's like a solid friend you can depend on. Um, yeah, other gear-wise, I mean, uh, you know, today I'm using uh, a Fractal Audio Axe 8, which is kind of... Or everything in one box. Like Aziz, I'm like, I love pedals. Absolutely love pedals. I've got boxes and boxes and boxes of pedals at home. And just from a series of touring mishaps and whatnot, it's the sort of thing where you take shit out on the road that you love and it breaks or gets stolen or goes missing, etc., etc. And you get into the point where you just want to retire stuff and keep it at home when you tour as much as sort of a band like ours do. Um, so yeah, you, you you look for bits of gear that can stand up to the pressures of being stamped on every night. And um, currently, I've, this is the first time I actually use this. Um, I've, I use it's this big this thing's big brother for touring. I use like an Axe FX, which is a rack mounted, does everything in one box kind of thing. And I run that into a couple of orange heads. Um, yeah, there's all the effects are in one box. It's one thing to go wrong, and it hasn't gone wrong on me yet. Touch wood, wherever some wood is. Um, but yeah, it's super dependable. It sounds the same every night. What we'll find is we do a lot of festivals over the summer where we'll fly in and we've, we, you know, there's rented backline that's at the festival. We'll turn up with guitars and pedal boards, that kind of thing. And um, you know, I was saying to Andy earlier, you know, I, I would spec like a JCM 900 or an orange rocker verb head 
this is what I play through. And then they'll say, well, that's great. We've got this Fender Twin and JTM 45 Marshall head for you, which sounds nothing like either of those heads, which is awesome. So it's for consistency and being able to bring the sound you need out with you. I invested in a few bits, a few modelers that I'm, you know, so far so good. They can take the pounding of being on the road and they sound the same every night. Yeah, and I noticed that, you know, every one of us is actually using something modelly. So, yeah, I've... I know in the industry, there's sort of a lot of guitar purists. Sort of, it's a frowned upon thing, but you know the guys, the guys play them because they, you know, they're consistent and they stand up to it. So yeah, I've got a lot of love for uh, for modelling stuff currently. Yeah, cool. Uh, Aziz, you've already told us a little bit about the guitar and why you play that particular one. I'm curious to learn more about that huge pedal board that you've got down there and what it sure. does for you and what's on it. <laughs> um, I mean, like Mike says, you know, there's a difference between when you're touring and when you're, you know, say you just got to pop over somewhere and you want you to do some playing. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a hassle having to dismantle something that's flight cased up and it's all connected, everything. You've got to bring the whole rig and the road is to carry it. So I generally tend to have stuff. I mean, I just made this for today. Like the playing, you know, it's the same thing. I'm not afraid, you know, just plug the guitar in and just play at the end of the day. That's how I learned to play. Um, but... I was just saying about the guitar before that um, I'll come back to the guitar because what's on the floor actually is dictated to by what I'm playing here. And I kind of been through going in the 80s, I went through active pickups and I had an Ibanez endorsement and I had seven, the first seven string that they did. They sent me a prototype, um, it was a Sabre body seven string. And I was actually playing for hot chocolate at the time with this <laughs> seven string monster, um, just playing, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> doing that with his seven string it's, but anyway I was at that time it you know suited the purpose and I moved into EMG pickups and active pickups I wanted loads of gain you know a, a, an even response and so forth but um, just um, as I've been learning to play and the, my taste change and uh, John the Stone Roses in 96 and all of a sudden somebody gave me a 1959 Gibson Les Paul which is not every day you know on a 59 ES345, and you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of equipment, it just landed at my doorstep, and all of a sudden, I'm like, ooh, playing this stuff at home, carrying around in tatty cases, and um, it's a fairy tale kind of story, but the practicalities are that the instruments actually taught me what tone is about, what, you know, guitar character is about, so I started to slow down, and started to take in what the instrument does to your sound, what works in a band context. You know, when you're playing with your groups, some things cut it, some things don't cut it. So um, it's got important to pick equipment that cuts it, that is there for a purpose, and it's not lost in a mix, that everything you do is not a wasted effort. And that's what I try to aim for, equipment that is not a wasted effort. So this guitar, sorry, the only reason I want to come back to it is because I've gone to P90s, these are bog old standard P90s, you know. I'm, don't buy into the, oh, these are the best and all that. The P90s, they're low output, yeah. The pickups are low output, but it allows the pedals to react. Because I, I'm into the amplifiers I use. I mean, I'm a Marshall man for years, but I use Fenders as well. But I use simple amps. I use JTM. I used to use SLPs, you know, Super Leads 100s, but they were taking people's heads off. You know, everybody was moaning about it, which I was enjoying. But uh, especially the sound man. Um, 
But then I went down to JTM 45s, but just simple amps, you know, clean valve amp. And I'd stick um, pedals on, but I use fenders because nobody's ever beaten the Blues Junior or the Deluxe. It's cheap amp, it's compact, it fits. I hate to say this, but it was the only amp that fitted in the bonnet of a Porsche. So, <laughs> but then uh, after that, going back, losing everything, going back to the Mini and the, and the, the Beetle that I've got now. Um, the Fenders are still great for me. You know, that's what you're going to end up with on a festival or a gig or somebody goes, use my amp, or we've only got these. And it's normally knackered speakers and the valves have gone. So I work from the principle of um, just having equipment which, in a f festival scenario abroad, minimal gear, the gear's gone. It happened to us in the Roses. We were playing Benny Kasim and all the equipment ended up in Bulgaria. And we were like... So what do we do? We had to borrow equipment from, I hate to say it, from Shed 7 and some other bands. But um, that's not a dig. But anyway, I just didn't want to borrow their equipment. But um, you end up with gear, so why not pick something that's simple and you just put your tone on? You know, I can put the pedal in the bag and, and just add it to the amp and that's that. Um, I'm using Kemper. I've been using, that's a prototype. That's one of the first campers that ever came out, and I was a believer in them in terms of the profiling of capturing your sound in the studio and taking it out on tour with you. But it serves a purpose. All I've got is set on a, um, you know, uh, a Marshall. It's just a clean Marshall JTM forty five setting. So I like that. You know, kind of you can go from. I hate doing impersonations, but, you know. Um, I just like that straight tone. So the, the pickups are important because then what I've got at the bottom here is I, I love fuzz boxes, mate. I love nasty fuzz boxes. So I don't know if you know your fuzz boxes, your distortions and overdrive history. Um, certain things are kind of critical in the history of albums that you've heard and the sounds that come off them and I kind of, kind of started researching it and I found that you know there was the fuzz face that Hendrix used and um, the Octavio and stuff like that and then there was the tone bender which was created in the UK um, and it's all about the transistors about um, silicon or germanium so I, I've got like an old this is an old 70s thing called a duo fuzz anybody heard of a Shaftesbury duo fuzz or anything like that well, this is the sound of it anyway. You can see how responsive it is to the volume control, you know? So that's why it's there and always there. But um, I, I'm a big Bowie. I used to be into Bowie and uh, everything um, Ziggy Stardust. So I got into tone benders a lot. And that's one of my other main sounds is this. That's a tone bender, and then um, the other pedal is another tone bender, but it's a, 
I used to listen to a lot of Steve Hackett. I, I kind of, you know, I like all manner of music and even Genesis. So I listen to Steve Hackett. Yeah, you know, I don't care. I'm a monkey, so what? I know you're laughing at me on Saturday, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's something I listen to in his tone, and I heard this sound, and it was, um, I don't even know where it is, but I think it's here. It's a very smooth, almost um, violin like. that you know there's so I have different tones that I go to and I had this guy make me a pedal in uh, LA which is one of my main sounds um and I find those kind of sounds cut through a lot more for me when I'm playing with the band um you know, they work. Some sounds don't work, like fuzz faces. You know, they got this, the scoop to them, and they don't quite. You've really got to mess with them to get the right tone. But they got a beautiful, clean sound. So it's experimenting with these things because they're really organic and they react with your amp and the guitar so much. And it's finding that sweet spot. You know, they. they everyone says, you know, the old geezer says, oh, it's the sweet spot. But it is about the sweet spot. When you find this, you know, in life, it's about the sweet spot. Trust me. Um, but with the guitar, yeah, the volume controls, the uh, you know, little bit of electronics, what the guitar hits, and then that hits the amp. And when you turn that up, in a, you, know, you don't have to stack up the speakers or anything. You just get a sound which is so powerful or it's so beautiful and you can go from one to the other in extremes, regardless of what kind of music you're into. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of it in a neutral way that it is about the music that you think of. So... Um, the rest of this is all, you know, toys that I love. I got into the um, electroharmonics and I use this pedal called the, uh, the POG2. Um, but I've seen it used and everyone uses the octaves in a way, but I actually prefer it for like, um, as you heard before, in that pl uh, you know, I was messing around. I started playing like cello pieces, you know. <laughs> You know, for me, that's uh, I, you know, I impress myself sometimes. Just sad. <laughs> but then the um, thank you. Sorry. But then I might you just I have certain settings on it that I always have my go-to sounds. Um. I have this octave. People love using octaves. You know, it's a great sound, but I actually like using two octaves down so you get this really deep kind of... And then the other octave that I use is just a typical boss octave. I just like it because it's got a real kind of quality with the uh, 
it's got a, it just it sounds great i love it it's almost synth like in a way so that's my other octave that i use um i love octaves <laughs> different kinds and then typically i've got the whammies and things like that <laughs> I'm using the ricochet at the moment because it sounds synth-like. I'm working with, a lot with Ableton at the moment, so I'm kind of competing with DJs, so everything is in that respect of how would a DJ do it, how do producers do it. I try and produce sound on stage that is equivalent to you know, work, uh, working as a DJ, so producing your music on stage. Um, but the most important thing for me, I've got this um, thing called the Eventide H9 uh, an effects processor. And... I have various sounds, but it's not so much about what's in it, it's the way that I use it. I um, mix my effects on stage so that I'm not actually... Um, the effect is not overtaking the sound of the guitar. So the guitar... You know, it's the reverb creeps in as such. But what it is, I'm mixing the reverb. It's almost like parallel mixing in a studio where you use the send of the desk in the old school ways when people used to mess with the solo and have it bloom, you know, the notes bloom. In the same way, I'm just turning a send and it's going to a parallel channel of effects, but the guitar signal is never lost. So in a musical, you're actually playing the effects. So I love this because I have it, um, you know, just like a little mixer mini by the company called um, The Gig Rig. So I use a lot there. I get this thing called Wetbox I'm using. And it's clean. And that's the most important thing for me, being in control of the music me playing the effects, not the effects playing me. Um, and the rest of it is, I've got this, there's a company called Old Blood Noise Endeavors. <laughs> Great name for an effects pedal company. But a bunch of stoners in America. And uh, they're just off their heads. But watching YouTube and, you know, watching these guys on YouTube as well. Um, I started to pick up on the pedals and it's just freaky. I mean, you heard a bit of this before. They just do freaky shit. Um, excuse the language. But, uh, no. And then, uh, just a really nice reverbs, but the effects again. The effect isn't on the guitar, it's the tremolo is on the reverbs, which is a really cool way of, you know, pl um, playing as far as. And then loopers, I love loopers, you know. Um, I, I'll just, just demonstrate this one. throwing in like loop samples and stuff again competing with DJs and uh, sorry um, don't want to shoot up any more time because that's a lot of stuff but I could go on for hours about gear but there is toys in there there's things inspirational things but that's that's it really get squeezing the most out of it but you've been in control of it as opposed to overtaking you anyway. It's easy to get talking about pedals, isn't it, when there's so much uh, amazing stuff available. Andy, um, if you could give us a bit of a rundown of your rig and then um, let us hear it. A uh, little conscious on time because we started a little bit late, but I want to fit in as much playing as we can. So, yeah, give us a rundown. We'll, um, uh, if you could then give us a performance and then we'll just hear Mikey to, um, to close us out. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, it's pretty simple. It's guitar, uh, wah pedal, Kemper. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not as in detail as all of this kind of stuff. I mean, I, I literally just have clean rhythm and then rhythm a bit louder with some delay on, basically. That's kind of my standard sort of clean tone. So. Um, you know, it's quite nice for sort of more open-y sort of stuff. Improvising rubbish. Um, but yeah, and then I've just got my kind of. <laughs> which is just uh, my bass player's 5150 that we uh, did some profiles for. Um, which are actually available if any of you guys have got a Kemper. Uh, it's like STL tones. But yeah, we spent ages just with like different mics and, you know, pissing about. I think we had uh, just a 57, a 421, and then we used like a drum boundary mic, which we had underneath the cab uh, to get some like low end in there. And uh, out of all the tones that we got, we just somehow stumbled across this one that just seems to work perfectly for everything. So. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, that's like either on record or live. It's kind of the same tone, um, which is just coming from this Kemper, uh, much like Aziz's, but it's a, a rack one, um, and it's a bit newer. Uh, and that's it, really. And then it's just kind of the same tone again, but for lead. <laughs> And then that's pretty much it. I've got a wireless because uh, having leads wrapping around your legs when you're on stage is kind of not the one really for me. But like people have been saying about guitar purists and stuff like that, uh, there's people that swear by cables and would never use, um, you know, wireless. But I don't know. For me, I just like having the freedom on stage. For some reason, it just makes me play a little bit more confidently than kind of <laughs> looking around, feeling like I've got a snake crawling up my leg while I'm trying to play. You know what I mean? And then the only other thing I use is uh, I've got a drop tune pedal. So it's by the same company as Aziz's Ricochet, but uh, it just allows me, because in my band, uh, we've got one song which is in drop A. I'm, I'm in drop C at the moment, but we actually play in drop B live. Um, but yeah, it's basically just so I don't have to do a guitar change for one song. <laughs> So it's one of the only ones that I found that actually tracks really well when actually changing the complete tone of um, the uh, tuning of your guitar live. So that just saves a lot of hassle. And um, the final thing I've got is just a wah pedal. So I quite like the sweep on that because uh, some wild pedals they just don't have enough bass to treble, but this one's. So you can kind of get that uh, sort of Zach Wild style vibrato, which I like quite a lot. Uh, and that's it, really. Do you want to tell us just briefly about the guitar? Oh yeah. Uh, 
Um, well, normally I would uh, I would kind of play my own guitars, which I got with uh, ESP. But um, for some reason, I've just decided that these guitars, the sort of Les Paul shape, sits a little bit better with me doing band stuff. Uh, I can wear it a bit lower because normally with six string double cutaway or seven string double cutaway guitars, I have to wear them up here, and I don't know, it's not it's not the coolest thing, but it's just so I can kind of play all the kind of more difficult stuff if I'm doing any of my own music. Uh, but this one, it's just a bog standard uh, EC1000 uh, from LTD, and it's got an Evertune on it. Um, so if you guys aren't really familiar with Evertune, it's a kind of um, piece of engineering that goes in your guitar, which means that it will never go out of tune. Um, I've done whole tours and not tuned my guitar once, but it plays exactly like a normal guitar. So you, you get all the vibrato and stuff. <laughs> So you can play it like a normal guitar. But um, if you tune, say like, uh, if I just get the B string and tune it down. If you notice it doesn't change pitch at all, and even when you bend. Which is kind of one of the weirdest things I've seen on guitar. But you have to kind of tune it all the way up to the end where it starts to go out a little bit. And then you can just play it like a normal guitar. But it's perfect for like intonation and stuff, especially like with me, I do a lot of heavy chords, but kind of add melody in there as well. Um, so you, uh, let me just see. You know, so if your guitar's totally out in terms of intonation or tuning, a lot of that stuff can sound really horrible. So for me, the, the Evertune is kind of like the next generation in what I believe should probably be in a lot of guitars. I mean, if people don't feel comfortable with it live, then you should definitely have one in the studio because it, it takes time out of your recording. It, it just cuts it by like two thirds. Um, so you're literally not reaching for the tuner all the time. You can just record a whole album and your guitar will just be perfect from start to finish. So that's pretty much it for the guitar. Nice, nice. We're um, well up and over time, and I know these guys have got other sessions to go to, and I know that some of you are doing other sessions as well. So cool, yeah. um, if it's cool with you guys, we'll close out with a performance from, from Mikey. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you could give the guys on stage a round of applause. Thanks to, um, to everyone for coming. Make sure you're using the appropriate hashtags. Like I said, if you don't, I'll get in trouble. So, um, yeah, make sure you're tweeting pictures and doing all that good stuff. So, thanks very much for coming. All right. Going to finish up with a song of ours called Warning. All right. <laughs>
Guys, thanks so much for coming out. Just been told to announce one more thing. Um, stick around for the Art of Music production session in Space 2 starting at 2 o'clock. Can we have another round of applause for everyone on stage? Thanks very much. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 